0: Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, excited today to be joined by Abby Fallick, who is the CEO of a company called Global Citizen Year. They're a not-for-profit who is doing really interesting work to help develop leaders and think globally. Lots to talk about. Before we get to any of that, Abby, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, Mike. I'm really excited to be here. You know, we were setting up a bit prior to recording and at the, the last minute i was thinking my goodness it must have been a crazy couple years for you leading global citizen year through the transformations we've all been experiencing over the past 2 years that's something for us to dig into a little bit later on we always begin by getting your origin story what got you to this point in your professional life can you catch us up on what got you to this point in your career
1: Oh, yeah. Quick and easy. Straight shot. <laughs> no failures. Straight line from A to Z. No, that's never true. And so much of what we're trying to do at, at Global Sys is really dispel the myth that, that any of that is true. So it is true that I can sit here and look back and tell a story that connects the dots very cleanly, hmm. uh, but you can never connect them looking forward. I remember as a kid having experiences traveling with my parents who had decided early on that travel was going to be the most important investment they wanted to make in our education. And I was in Southern Africa and Southeast Asia, Latin America, having experiences of meeting kids my age who had grown up in completely different circumstances. And I had a very deep sense from an early age of how lucky I was to have been born where and when I was. And it exposed what one of my mentors calls a social justice nerve, just a sense that, you know, once you know that, once you know it's there, you can't ignore it. And there was a sense of obligation to use my access and opportunity, the terrific education I was going to have in the service of creating opportunities for other people. And that's just never been a question for me. It's always been intrinsic to everything I've done. I've also been hardwired as an entrepreneur from a young age. So I have memories of selling my dad's neckties door to door and creating a summer camp for neighborhood kids when I was in middle school. And I just have had this intuition around if there's a problem that needs to be solved, why not me? I would gather resources and drive hard to break through challenges to create something that doesn't exist. And there's nothing that brings me more joy than that. Yeah. So it's really at the intersection of those two things, travel, entrepreneurship. And then the last piece I'd share is that by the time I finished high school, I was tired from the treadmill. I'd yeah. been hustling hard and fast. I'd checked the boxes. I'd gotten into Stanford. And I was really aware that something was missing in my education. I was letting my schooling interfere with my real education. Desperately wanted to find a way to take a year to do something real in the world and outside of military service or religious service, we don't create paths for young people to have a rite of passage, a transformation, Mm -hmm. transformational experience in that transition into adulthood. And so in some ways, ever since I've been fixated on why don't we do that and what will it look like Mm -hmm. to call on a whole generation to step off the conveyor belt, to recognize there is no path and to take a global citizen year to learn who they are and who they want to be in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, and despite my desire to to go deep on door-to-door necktie sales, which sounds <laughs> like a, a there's, there's some lessons learned oh, from that experience. Very successful, no, <laughs> but, but good learning, all of it, good learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, despite that urge, the conversation about creating global citizens, the mission that is driving your organization seems very much tied to your origin story. And then the way in which that's being implemented, I think would also be really interesting to our listeners. So can you describe a little bit about what Global Citizen Year is?
1: Global Citizen Year is a nonprofit on a mission to reinvent a life stage, to create a rite of passage for young people from all backgrounds on the cusp of adulthood in order to give them experiences and teach them things that can't be learned in a classroom alone. Mm -hmm. So for our first 10 years, we were founded in 2010, first 10 years we spent running a fellowship. So we would select high potential, determined, motivated, and very diverse young people, primarily from across the U.S., to join us for a year-long fellowship after high school. And In the fellowship, they would spend the equivalent of a school year living with a family and working on a project alongside the global majority across four countries where we had operations in India, Ecuador, Brazil, and Senegal. Hmm. And the experience allowed them to stay longer and go deeper than traditional flyby travel programs, much more immersive than study abroad, also happens at the front end of your education so that everything you learn then informs how you approach college, Mm -hmm. what decisions you make, what to study, what to pursue, how much confidence and self-assuredness and focus and purpose you have on day one. And so obviously in pandemic times, sending young people around the world is not a possibility. So in March of 2020, we were welcoming our 1000th fellow home from the field. And it became an emergency evacuation instead. And quite quickly, our team, who is committed, innovative, and adaptable, all the things that we're actually trying to teach our our students in many ways, modeled that kind of leadership and reoriented to build what's become Global Citizen Year Academy. Mm-hmm. So over the last two years, we've now supported a thousand additional young people, this time from a hundred countries around the world, mm-hmm. to have a global citizen, type of experience. They've taken a course on leadership. They've been coached. They've been brought into community with young people like them from around the world. And they come out the other side with a new perspective and and new skill set and new social network that become part of their story for the rest of their lives so that's that's the history is that there's been a, a deep immersive component we've now built out a really high impact virtual learning platform and chapter 3 as i think of it as we move toward the future is how do we integrate the best of what we've learned in both of those models to create new pathways that are more impactful and even more scalable for young people to have these experiences
0: yeah yeah that's interesting and i think we're going to want to go deeper on the next chapter a, a little bit later you know you're getting some some rocket fuel to apply to what you're doing next. Can you catch uh, our listeners up quickly on some of the recent news around around funding?
1: Yeah, it's been super exciting few months. So uh, a couple months ago, we got a phone call that changed the game for us. We learned that Mackenzie Scott and her husband, Dan Jewett, We're committing $12 million Mm. in philanthropy to our growth plan. Mm. And this gift kicked off a really bold and ambitious new chapter for Global Citizen Year. We are raising a $50 million fund. We're calling it the New Leaders Fund. And in the last couple of months, we've managed to nearly match her gift in other contributions. So we're about 40% of the goal. And... The vision for this fund is in the next five years that we will make investments that allow us to step on the gas and scale what we've been doing to the size of what's needed. The vision here is to launch 10,000 young leaders a year through a global citizen year type of pathway so that over time we have a critical mass of young people who've shared these experiences.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic and congratulations to you and the, and the team. To me, this reminds me of something we've been talking about on this show really since 2020 is how the pandemic had an accelerating effect in a lot of different areas of the learning ecosystem uh, and just the the world writ large. Sounds like that's very much the case and that it affected a pivot that you may have had on your roadmap. You were probably thinking about it, but also you were working with the smaller cohorts and, and really ensuring that that model was successful. Can you talk about how maybe the first chapter led into the second, and then we can look at what's coming?
1: Great. You know, I couldn't agree more that that what's happened in the last couple of years has been an accelerant for trends that were already underway, particularly in, well, really in every industry and so obviously in higher education as well. Mm-hmm. And so before digging into how it's affected us, I just, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about what. Uh, kind of higher education do I want my kids, who are now five and seven, to have? And I am totally convinced they will not go to four-year college in a traditional sense. Yep. It won't be the thing. It won't be the best or the only path. And I think we've been on that path for a long time of a total reimagination of how to better align what we're teaching at that age with what young people most need to learn. And the disconnect between those skills and what traditional college curriculum tend to be teaching, you know, I've been struck by the stat that says 11% of employers think that college graduates are ready for the workforce Mm -hmm. and 96% of college presidents think they are.
0: Right. 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 So
1: there's this dramatic, dramatic disconnect and a huge opportunity for new pathways to fill in the gap there. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what's exciting is to see that some of those conversations that felt futuristic and radical are now much more mainstream and, and part of what we're all able to now build around. But we've got to be really thoughtful as well, because if we leave the rebuild to the market alone, what we'll get is a very thinned out version of education. Hmm. We'll take the hard skills and the training that you can do online and strip out other stuff that seems, quote, inefficient or you know soft in some way. and actually orient around just training around skills, training kids to be coders and data analysts. And what is actually needed is training around the things that are most human, the human skills of the future that the AI and robots will never do. And that can't be taught through a coding bootcamp. And so we need impact pathways that are not just market driven to help us reimagine what a higher education can look like. So that's just a broad thought on and observation about what I think is, is accelerating trends that are so urgent and essential in,
0: in education. Just to jump in, I'd like to say I get social-emotional baby in honor of the, the great Whitney Houston, but also in honor of the importance of social-emotional development, where it's surprising to me how frequently it's been coming up. Character development is the other one that I know is very central to your operating philosophy you know, that shift from the focus on hard skills that you can demonstrate specifically the competencies that are required day-to-day on the job versus what had been called soft skills. I saw you refer to them as power skills. I've also heard them called durable skills, you know, skills that are are more transferable to different contexts. As someone who's, who's you know, leading an organization that is very much founded on the the primacy of some of these social, emotional, character-based attributes that are built by exposure to difference and travel and all these kinds of things. I'd love to hear a little more of your thinking on how best to understand skills, you know, building on what you were were, were just talking about.
1: We have a new framework that we're calling the real skills. So I love this notion that the soft skills are actually the power skills. Durable is a great word for them as well. They're future-proof And they are uniquely human. And we've come up with an acronym that we hope helps kind of focus attention on what we believe are the most urgent and essential things for young people to learn, but that can't be taught just in a classroom. So they're real, R-E-A-L, for resilience. The ability to fail and rebound and be able to count on yourself to get back up and, and find a new path. The E is for empathy. It's an ability to connect across lines of difference, which is something that we know is you know, essential to social cohesion and a thriving democracy and something that there's not enough of in the world today. The A is for adaptability and agency both. So it's an ability to pivot and to know your own ability to be in the driver's seat, not the passenger seat of your own learning and education decision making. And the L is for leadership. And we described leadership in a very particular way. It's not a position a title, a salary, an arrival point. It's not something somebody else gives you and anoints you to be. Leadership is a lifelong practice, and it begins as soon as you know your own power to impact people around you through your behaviors and through your decisions. Mm -hmm. Leadership, in our view, needs to be defined by practicing curiosity before judgment, by aligning your life with your convictions, by connecting to build empathy, by having courage to do hard things. Mm -hmm. And so when we zoom out to then design our programming at Global Citizen Year, it is all in the service of helping young people develop those real 21st century skills. Some people call it a gap year. I'll put that in quotes. It's a terrible metaphor. We believe that the education we're providing is filling in the gaps that are left by the rest of your education.
0: Yeah, and it, I like the idea of also getting off the, the treadmill where, you know, I grew up in a competitive public school here, here on Long Island in New York. And the expectation was you will, you will work hard academically so that you get access to an elite college experience. You'll get through that in four years and you will continue to hire aspirations. And very little opportunity was given to my generation and at least in my context, to question that, to think about, do I need to do that right away? And then also, I remember being in college and not really having a clear sense of where I wanted my my life and my career to go. I do find the timing that you're focused on and the experience of being exposed to significantly different cultural experiences, maybe even a different language, you know, like a very different experience than what can be a pretty isolated, purely academic path. Can you expand on that? Because I was reflecting my own experience and I was thinking that would have been a real opportunity to, again, maybe get out ahead of things that eventually, I, you know, I think we all work through it. We all, you know, pursue our paths, but the idea that you need to know this stuff right away when you've almost been in a conveyor belt, you know, hamster wheel kind of environment. That if you don't have the opportunity to pause, and, and I do think the pandemic really collectively has given everyone that that opportunity to pause, but I'd love to get more of your reflection on this because it seems like there was a genuine insight that we've all been kind of forced into in ways that that maybe we weren't expecting. Any reflections on all of this? Because it does seem like you were you were poised to take things to another level and and then there's been a massive transformation on your side.
1: Yes, as you can imagine, I have many, many thoughts here. So I can really relate to what you describe as your own experience of the cultural expectations, the inertia, the sense of um, there is sort of one straight and narrow path. And if you um, step off, you won't find your way back on. And that's somehow a failure. So in my own experience, after having finished high school and wanting to find a way to take a year like this. I couldn't find it. I went straight to college and I spent two years in school just feeling self-conscious, like an imposter, Mm -hmm. unsure of myself, unfocused. There's a notion of ducks on a lake where, you know, everything looks sort of placid and calm on the surface, but everybody's frantically scrambling to keep up or pedaling to keep up underneath the surface. That described my internal state but I hadn't been encouraged to step back and reflect on why I felt that way. Why was I going to college? What was my aim? What was I looking to get out of it? So after two years, I took a year off and I lived and worked in Latin America and I was not enrolled in school. I was learning languages through immersion and about myself through trial and error and a whole lot of failure. And after that year, Felt like this had been the most formative part of my education, and it had nothing to do with my formal education. I ended up petitioning for that year's worth of experience to count for credit, which I got. And in hindsight, that's a really important part of our sort of founding experience here at Global Citizen Year, which is to say the things that we accredit, mm. the things that we give credentials for, may be quite separate from the things that are most credit worthy. So that's one of the the things that we're trying to shift. And and so when I came back and I suddenly had a sense of purpose and focus and confidence to build relationships with professors and I knew what I wanted to study, it, it brought me back to that earlier inclination, which was had I had that kind of formation experience sooner, the sooner you can have it, the sooner it starts to inform everything that comes next. And I can't count the number of you know, adults and peers in my world who say, I wish I'd had an experience like this. It may have taken me, you know, all the way through medical school and residency to step back and question why I was on this path to figure out whether I was doing it for myself or for someone else. I think that we can avoid a lot of the midlife crises by actually encouraging young people to have that kind of shake you out of your trance experience when you're, you know, before you're 20. Um, And so, so that's, that's our mission is really, how do we do that at scale to change the cultural norm so that young people can see that the sooner they recognize there is no path and a sticky on my um, computer that says, if the path is clear, you're on someone else's. (laughs) I like to remind myself of daily, that's a <clears throat> but I think that's really the power move is, is helping a young person see that they're, they're forging their own path and the world needs them to do that. Yeah. And that's the way to build a meaningful life.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to see the connectivity build in different directions now that you're going virtual. It opens up access, allows you to scale in new ways and allows you to leverage a, a different type of community. Can you talk about what that experience has been like? The community we're building is the key engine.
1: It's our our impact over time will come through a network of alumni who are creating change beyond the sum of the parts of the network. There's, There's social capital. They are each other's foundational crew for life. You you know, we've been data crazed from the beginning. We very rigorously and with the help of a, a team at the Harvard Education School measure learning outcomes before and after the Global Citizen Year experience. We've got a longitudinal study that we've got in place to really assess the durability of the skills that have been developed and the perspective shifts. But ultimately, it's really about you know, 10 and 20 years from now, being able to look out into society and have these young people in positions of influence and power, mm-hmm. both traditionally powerful roles and then less traditionally so, but but leading change from wherever they find themselves across industries and networks and sectors and now across global contexts yeah. as well. And yeah. I think, you know, sitting at this stage of a pandemic, sitting on the cusp of who knows what with the sort of political disruptions in Europe and our climate crisis, which is not impending, but it's here. Yeah. I wish (laughs) we could zoom out to space for that overview effect, to Mm -hmm. see our little blue marble floating along and to recognize that we're all on the same team. We just don't act like it or realize it. Yeah, And so in many ways, what we're doing is helping young people see their sense of connection
0: and civic responsibility across traditional borders and boundaries. Yeah. And what I really like is that you're getting at the generational zeitgeist is something I like to talk about a lot. There's a lot of thinking around, you know, which generation is on the rise. And then in particular, the generation generally known as Generation Z is the one that you're really talking about. Maybe you got some the tail end of the millennial generation, but you've really had your finger on the pulse of that rising generation, which is understood as being more activated against a lot of the social issues and the awarenesses that, that you've been referencing. As someone who's, who's really been building around the social capital and the development of that generation, what's that been like?
1: They are more diverse, more socially aware, more globally tuned in than any prior generation. And Gen Z is dismayed by the state of the world and determined to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And we see our job as exactly as you're saying, harnessing that idealism, that determination to change the world and converting it into something that's as impactful as possible. I I think there's a real risk of idealism without a sort of groundedness in reality or without taking the time to learn what's already been done. We don't need 100,000 new nonprofits or social movements. We actually need young people having the humility to learn about what's worked and what hasn't, to understand what's working and to take it to where it's needed. Mm -hmm. And so one of our core premises is helping young people understand the difference between feel good and real good
0: Hmm. in driving
1: social change. And if we can do one thing well, I think it's that it's that it this this work is not just about feeling good about yourself. It has to be driving toward real
0: world change that we can all get behind. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. We're getting closer to time here, Abby. We clearly could continue to go on about this stuff. And congratulations again to you and team. But there's a real opportunity in this new phase that we're entering into, I'd I'd love to hear a little more about what's getting you excited about the future. What's next? What do you see on the horizon more broadly? And what role does Global Citizen here and programs like it have in the future of education?
1: I am optimistic about the future, despite the current headlines. And it's because we work with this rising generation who are ready and willing to get in the arena and shake things up. And do things differently. I love this notion that the pandemic is a portal. It is a transition from one epic of history into the next. Mm. We get to choose what we carry. We get to have the confidence, not snap back to business as normal, the way we used to do things. And and, and I think that will be true, certainly in higher education. We've got 50% of Gen Z questioning the value of traditional college. So those dynamics are... Are going to change very, very quickly. But I look out 10 years and envision a world where it is normal, expected, and encouraged for high potential young people from around the world to take a global citizen year, Mm. to spend a year living and working in a part of the world that is not their home, building relationships, developing empathy, resilience, agency, and leadership, and beginning adulthood from a place that says, there is no higher calling than committing my talents and my opportunity and my one wild and precious life to work in the service of something bigger than myself. Mm-hmm. If we can build it, that will save us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the the need for better structures around that rite of passage, despite whatever I might've said about Hi, ed, that experience of going to college and being on my own did a- allow me to find my way. And the idea that a more structured, thoughtful approach that isn't exclusively or predominantly academic in mind feels right on, on a number of levels. So again, c- congratulations to you and the team. If folks are curious about this, if they want to learn more, Abby, where should they go?
1: Global Citizen org is our website. We're at Global Citizen Year across all the socials. And we'll be opening applications soon for our 2022-23 programming.
0: That's fantastic. Abby falick the CEO of Global Citizen Year, will include information on the show page for folks who are interested. Abby, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Mike.
0: Awesome. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you're hearing. If you did, please write us a review, follow us at trending in ed on twitter i'm on linkedin a whole bunch so feel free to track me over there as well we'll be back again soon this is trending in education